Hi, this is Henry Gross. You remember me from my big hit, Shannon. And I'm here with Robert Miller on his wonderful Follow Your Dream podcast. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is the extraordinary L. Russell Brown, Larry Brown, one of the greatest songwriters of the rock era. He wrote two massive hits for Tony Orlando and Dawn, Tie a Yellow Ribbon and Knock Three Times. Yellow Ribbon is one of the most recorded songs of all time. He also wrote Come On Marianne for the Four Seasons and one of my favorites, Sock It To Me Baby for Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. His songs have been recorded by artists like Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Perry Como, Leslie Gore, Johnny Mathis, and Donny Osmond. And at 83 years of age, he's still rocking. Larry's got a hit record on the charts right now called Every Chance I Get, I Want You in the Flesh by Dan Auerbach. How about that? And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musician guests, Larry and I are going to do a song fest. We're going to play a bit of so many of those hits that I just mentioned, and I'll ask him some questions and you'll get the backstories. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And you also know that I like to feature a song of mine in every episode underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make it relevant somehow to my guest. Well, I've chosen for this episode the song right now. It's a 60s rocker that I wrote. To me, it's the kind of song that you could hear is the flip side of one of Larry's big hits. So Larry Brown, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's a pleasure to have you. But I got to start with Sock It To Me Baby by Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Sock it to me, baby. One of the great rock and roll songs of the mid-1960s. I saw them perform that song at a place called Clay Cole's Scene on Long Island. I was a teenager trying to learn how to play rock and roll, and Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels were up on the stage, and they played that song, and the place went wild. Okay? And now I'm talking to the guy that created that song. Amazing. It's amazing. That was the first song of my life that was a million seller. And it was scary because, you know, I was praying it was going to be a hit. I, I didn't think it was going to be a hit. I liked, uh, you know, Jenny Take a Ride. 
and Devil with the Blue Dress, and I had to follow those records. And I said, oh, my God, I hope it's a hit. And sure enough, two million seller. I don't know. You know, you never know. Thanks to the great Bob Crew who co-wrote it with me. All right, I got to ask you the question. Socket to me, baby, became like a ubiquitous phrase in this country. Was that before the song, or did the song emulate what was happening in the country? The song was before what happened with the, you know, with the television show and and everything. And there was another song that year that used that phrase. It was respect, where she said, where Aretha Franklin said, "Socket to me, socket to right. me." That was the same year, though. But we were before the TV craze. All right. Well, I guess we're talking about laughing, which used that song, that phrase, all the time. Well, let me tell you where it really came from. Go ahead. There was a movie called Boys Town with Spencer Tracy. This kid was dropped off at Boys Town. The guy said to him, "Socket to him, baby." And that's where Bob Crew got that title from Boys Town. I did not know that. But, you know, Laughing, which was this big television show back in that era, they used to have different celebrities come on and say the phrase, sock it to me, baby. One of them was Richard Nixon. Sock it to me? Do you remember that? Yes, very much so. So I said to myself as I was preparing for this, interview with you if you could only have you know copyrighted that line you wouldn't have had to write another song okay that was it everybody was saying that line it would have made a zillion dollars you're right (laughs) if i would have copywritten the yellow ribbon i think i would have made even more (laughs) that's right you would have owned all the yellow ribbons all right well let's talk about that how did you meet tony orlando and tell us about those songs well the producer of candida which Erwin Levine wrote with Tony Wine, wanted to meet the man who wrote Come On, Marianne. So I, w- I walked up to his office with Erwin Levine one day, and he said, I have a new record. It's number 80 on the charts. Well, I want you to tell me if you think it's a hit, Brown, because I love Marianne. His name was Hank Menders of the Tokens. So I listened to it, and it put a chill on my neck. So he said, what do you think? I said, it's number one for sure. I love it. He said, well, Tony Wine married Chips Moman, Elvis's producer, and ran away from here, and we need a follow-up. Why don't you and Erwin Levine go and write one? I said, well, we don't write. We just take the bus together. We we pal out together, but we never wrote together. He said, well, go home and write me follow-up. So I went to Erwin's house. I followed him, and he had a piano, and I never wrote a song on a piano in my life. So using the few chords I knew in the key of C, we wrote a song together. And we brought it into Hank the next day, and he cut it, and it sold 10 million records. It was my first song on the piano, one of my only songs on the piano, and that was not three times. All right, so that was the one that started it off for you with Tony Orlando and Dawn. It was not three times. Now, I had never met Tony Orlando. Uh, I just played the song for Hank Medris, and then... After uh, Tony had a few flops after that, he came back to us and he he asked for a meeting. And we met in a little Greek place and we had Slovakia on Broadway. And he said, I need a follow-up real bad. I'm in trouble uh, with my group. I have a lot of money invested and I need a follow-up. So we wrote a song for him and he recorded it reluctantly because he said it was a country song. He didn't do country. He was more like a Benny King kind of R&B artist. But he he did, they forced him to do it, and he did tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. 
and it just did something that was beyond belief. And I become a friend of Tony Orlando. He's like my brother to me. You know, what's amazing about that song is sometimes in life, songs take on a whole characteristic that's way beyond the song. And I think that's exactly what happened with Taya Yellow Ribbon. It was kind of the Vietnam era, and it became a song that people thought of and tied yellow ribbons around trees when they were waiting for soldiers to come home, when they were just expecting things to happen in their lives, it took on a whole new life. Don't you agree? I mean, they used it in Hong Kong for the freedom movement. When people are, 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 are away and lost and hostages, like we see right now in the Far East in Israel, there's yellow ribbons around every pole for these hostages. You're right. It, it took on a... Such a meaning that Tony Orlando has a, a play called Rooftop Dreams, which is going to go to Broadway. And Yellow Ribbon is a main point in it, besides all the other songs I wrote for him. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great story, Rooftop Dreams, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to that's my next dream, is the Rooftop Dreams, to see this show on Broadway and a young new guy play Tony Orlando. Now, Tony Orlando did his last show in Vegas last night and tore the house down. He's going to do his final show on March 22nd at the Seminole Casino in uh, in Connecticut. I will be there for him. But can you imagine after we had tie Yellow Ribbon, we couldn't figure out what would we possibly write after that? Yeah. So we sat down and wrote a, a like, like an Al Jolson song. We both loved Al Jolson, so we wrote Say Has Anyone Seen My Sweet Gypsy Robe? And that was a smash, a million seller. And then the producer said, give me some more ragtime songs. So we wrote Who's in the Strawberry Patch with Sally. Who's in the Strawberry Patch with Sally? Now that she's not picking them with me. Oh, no, I don't care what they're doing there. Neat the shade of the old apple tree. Hey, I'll bet. And then we wrote, stepping out, we're going to boogie tonight. Don't worry about me, my, I'll be all right. I'm stepping out, I'm going to boogie tonight. Dancing and singing love songs, sweet songs are alive. Oh, I'm stepping out, I'm going to boogie tonight. And there were five hits in a row. It was just one of those amazing moments in the life of a person. But like you said, the song took, the Yellow Ribbon song took on a life of its own and became part of American history. Who could ever dream that? Yeah, exactly. All right, listen, we jumped ahead. I want to go back. How did you become a songwriter? I never wanted to be a songwriter. You messed up then because you became a great songwriter. 
no, it's it's really strange how it happened. I I just wanted to write the song so I could be the person that sings them. Uh-huh. And 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 after, you know, five or six records that made the charts but never weren't hits, I walked out of my house one day after I had Yellow Ribbon and Knock Three Times and five other hits, and I I, I said to myself, I'm married here with three kids and and I said, you know, the the royalties are paying the bills. Brown, you're a songwriter. It hit me, and I says, be happy with what you got. You bet. You got something. Go back, though. I mean, did you come from a musical family? Were you trained in music? How did you get into this business? <laughs> I grew up in the Seth Boyden housing projects of Newark with five brothers laying in one bed peeing on each other. <laughs> when I was 11, I spent a year in Jamesburg, the state home for boys, because it was a rough neighborhood and we were hungry and there were factories across the street and we took things from those factories. And after a while, they arrested me and put me in jail for a year. So when I wrote the words, I'm coming home, I've done my time, I lived that. But all day long in my house, my father played the radio or the what what's called the Victrola, and he played Bing Crosby songs and Irving Berlin songs. And from morning till night, all I heard was Russ Colombo songs from a guy from 1930 who I was named after a singer-songwriter, Russ Colombo, L. Russell. And so I got my education. I didn't learn to read a note of music. I still can't read any music. But for, it seems that, that it was put into my mind. And when I, a friend of mine lent me a guitar when I had the mumps, and I learned in two weeks how to play more than he learned in two years of lessons. And for some reason, I picked up the guitar, and the first thing I did was, when I learned two chords, I wrote a song. Why? I have no idea. But I just, it was like something that was supposed to happen. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and went into the Army and formed a duet and toured all through Europe. I took this Georgia boy home for, with me, who was a duet, and we knocked around Manhattan until finally we, we made a record that the great Bob Crew liked. We sang the record. We called the Distant Cousins. It was called To Have and To Hold. We do everything that sounded just like the Beatles, and uh, he signed us as writers and as artists. But hold on a second. I, I want to ask you a question. At this time, you were thinking, though, that you were going to be the artist as opposed to you were just going to write songs. Am I right? Precisely correct. I looked at myself to this day as a failure, a failed artist, <laughs> a total failure. I never did what I set out to do. I mean, I'm blessed. I feel that I was able to do anything at all in the music industry, no less write these amazing songs. But I, I really failed at my main objective, and that was to be Tony Orlando. Well, listen, we should all be such failures as you are, okay? <laughs> you are an amazing guy. And I want to understand the songwriting process. Did you write on your own? Did you write only with partners? Were you lyrics? Were you music? Were you both? Tell me what went into your songwriting? I like to look into to another person's face, even as I wrote the words and music. As a, for instance, 
when I wrote Yellow Ribbon, I told my partner this story of, I read in Reader's Digest of a guy coming home from Andersonville prison, and he told his, on a stagecoach, told his girlfriend to tie yellow handkerchiefs on the tree, and they were covered. He didn't want to hear the story. So, but then when I finished the story, he said, Brown, I just got a rush on my neck when you told the end of it. Tell it again, slow. So I told it. He said, but handkerchiefs are disgusting. You blow your nose in them. He said, let's change the handkerchief to a ribbon. I said, I like that. He said, and stagecoaches, it's, it's, it's archaic. Let's make it a bus. I said, I like it. And he said, let's call it tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. I said, that's a very long title. So I picked up the guitar and I actually wrote all the words and music to the first verse and chorus. And when I finished them, and that was around three minutes in, he says to me, write these words down. I have the second verse. I looked at him like he was out of his mind. Then I wrote him down. He said, sing the first verse, chorus, second verse, chorus. I said, how are we going to end it? He said, put the tape recorder on. I'll sing the entire end. I looked at him like he was out of his mind, and I sang it, and he sang the great ending. Now the whole damn bus is cheering, and I can't believe I see 100 yellow ribbons around the old oak tree. And we both looked at each other. We were flush in our face. We said, my God, that, is this as good as we think? So let me tell you this, Robert, because we thought it was so great, we called up Apple Records. And the head of A&R said, come on in tomorrow morning and play it for me for Ringo. When I got to the chorus, I'm playing my heart out. He deadened the strings. And he said, how dare you play me garbage like this about a ribbon in a tree? You should be ashamed of yourself. Come back when you have something good. And that's what we got for 10 months. It's ironic because you're playing it for Apple. The Beatles got rejected by 17 record labels, okay? Think what those guys must feel like as a result of that. And they took a 10 million seller and just tossed it away. Unbelievable. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller, your host. In 1994, I recorded my first album, called Miles Behind. It features world-class guest musicians like Randy Brecker of Blood, Sweat and Tears, Anton Figg of The David Letterman Show, Al Foster from Miles Davis's band, and Tim Reese from The Rolling Stones. I'm excited to say that this album has just been released on the internet for the first time. The 10 tracks include originals like Child's Play. Plus reimagined covers of Jimi Hendrix's Fire. and Chick Corea's Sea Journey.
I'm very proud of this album. It's crossover jazz that's been called hip, tight, and edgy. I think that captures it. Miles Behind can be streamed on Spotify, Apple, and all the other streaming platforms. As always, I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast and to my music, and keep on rocking. All right, listen, I don't normally do it in this order, but we've been talking so much about Tie a Yellow Ribbon, I've got to start playing it. Tell me a little bit more about how the whole thing got done as a song, as a recording, I should say. You've told us how the song was created, which is an amazing story that it just flowed out of you and your partner. Tell us about the actual recording and how it became such a massive hit. Well, after 10 weeks, 10 months of, of trying, we in desperation, we brought it to uh, Hank Metters, Tony's producer who did knock three times, and we played it for him. And he just sat there quietly and then in the end, where we sang the end, his arms went up in the air like electric hit him. He said, pray it for Tony tomorrow. So I came in the next day and we all had a meeting and he said, Brown, go in the next room and play it for Tony. So I played it for Tony. Our knees were touching in the little writer's room. And he said in the end, I could never sing that song. That's a country song, Brown. I like the way you do it. Why don't you sing it? I was crestfallen. I said, no, Tony, you're the artist. Why don't you? It's not a country song. It's an amalgamation of pop, country, folk. It's something different. Yep. He said, well, I couldn't do it. So I, I went in the next room with the producer, and I was really upset. And the producer whispered in my ear, hangman, on the way out. He said, don't worry about it, Brown. I'm going to cram it down his throat. And he did, and Tony sang it, and the rest is history. So he was reluctant to sing that song, huh? He, he called up uh, Bobby Vinton and he said, Bobby, you've had to hit songs with colors, blue on blue and and blue velvet and red something. And he said, why don't you use another, another color? He tried to give it away. Now, he realized now, after all these years that, you know, there was no stopping it. He did a great performance on that song. He really he brought, it, brought it to life. Because he is an amazing recording artist and a great talent and a great person. Let me tell you that. I'm blessed that he is part of my life. You know, he's been on my podcast and he's told not only the story about these songs that you're mentioning, but what he's done for the veterans. OK, because that's a big part of his life, as you know. And 30 years with Jerry Lewis for cerebral palsy. Yes. He did that, too. This is a special guy, you know, and and when I, I had... Uh, open heart surgery around five years ago and I was touch and go. And he used to call me four o'clock in the morning and say, Brown, don't give up. Don't give up. He called me four thirty, three thirty in the morning. He says, I want you to be strong and keep on going. That's the kind of guy Tony Orlando is. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself as you're talking, what if the song had been called high a yellow, you know, handkerchief or about the old tree? I don't think it would have had the same effect. 
No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have. Uh, Hal Irwin come up with the yellow ribbon, but it was a very long title, and I was very skeptic about it. And even after we had that title, then we wrote, "Say, has anybody seen my sweet?" Another long title, and the people said, "Well, the titles are too long. They'll never work." You know. So, so we found out the number one rule in writing songs. You know what that is, Robert? Go ahead. There are no rules. <laughs> right. Nobody cares how long the title is if they love the song. All right, I'm playing now underneath Knock Three Times, which was your other massive hit with Tony Orlando and Dawn. Oh, my darling, knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. Tell me a little bit more about that one. We sat at the piano for the first time, Erwin and I, and he said, tell me about growing up in the housing projects in Newark. And I said, well, we were a lot of people, a lot of families in the building with one phone. And we had radiators that connect to all the floors. So if you got a phone call and you were on the first floor, the people who had the phone would wrap the radiator once. And you knew the phone call was for someone in the first floor. If it, if it was for someone on the third floor, we'd hit the radiator three times. So Irwin loved that idea. And this is the only song where Irwin wrote the entire lyric and I wrote the entire melody. But there's a catch to this, Robert, and you'll like this. After we finished the song, Irwin went, said, I have to go to the loo. I said, knock yourself out. So he went to the bathroom. And while he was in there, I said to myself, why don't we sing it one time? And the second time, why don't we graphically do it? Oh, my darling, boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom yes. <laughs> yeah, so I was, and then ting, ting on the pipe. So I got excited. I said, Veen, I called him Veen, Erwin Levine. I said, Veen, come on out. I'm coming, Brown. He, I waited for a half hour. He finally came out. And I said, <laughs> wait, do you hear this? Uh, and he sat down and I played it for him and he freaked out. He said, that's sensational. So uh, I had to go home and learn it on the guitar because I write on the guitar uh -huh. and learn it, the song on the guitar. And the next day we played it for Hang Matters. He said, it's number one. I'm, I'm going to cut it with Tony. And that's how that song came about. All right. I got to tell you, I remember Tony told this little story about that song when I interviewed him on the podcast about how initially he was reluctant about that one as well. He said to me and he said to himself, I guess, at the time, he says, knock three times. He says, nobody's going to understand what that means if they don't come from Brooklyn. Who knocks on a pipe? Okay. <laughs> but obviously it translated beyond Brooklyn. Well, there was a guy in California who had a tip sheet. I can't think of his name. He was the most famous guy. And he and this is what his his take on it was when he reviewed it, he said, should appeal to apartment dwellers only. And then <laughs> after it was number one, he said, obviously appealed to other dwellers as well. Right? <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. What a great story. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. You wrote Come On, Marianne for the four seasons. You worked with Bob Gordio and Bob Crew.
Tell me what it was like to do that. Well, Frankie Valley, before I had a hit, used to stick his head in the door and say, write me a hit, Brown. And I had never written a hit, but that gave me the hope that I could do it. Frankie always instilled hope in people. And one Wednesday, I went and I was playing chords to another song, just the chords, and and I wrote a, the melody and lyric to that song. My partner was playing the rhythm of the part that went dun 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 dun, dun that, and I wrote the words of music to, and to come on, Mary and myself essentially. He wrote the chords, and we played it for Bob Crew on a Wednesday night. He showed it to Frankie and Bobby uh, Friday night, and they booked time in the studio for a Saturday and I went and they told me to come in and I played it for the band and they were the greatest players in New York city. And Bob Gordio, after they started it and did the count off came into the room and said, hold it. I like the way you play the introduction, Brown, you have the right feel. I said, but my guitar is not electric and you do a, a modulation. I can never play it in the other key. Don't worry about that, Brown. I'm putting a mic by your guitar. You're going to start this record. So on Come On, Mary Ann, the introduction of it is me playing guitar. Fantastic. I was so petrified because I had the greatest five A-team musicians around me, and they want, he wants me to play the opening, you know? God bless. Good for you. You know, Bob Gordio is one of the guys that when you study and when you grow up with the music of the 1960s, he was a master at what he did and really created that whole sound of the Four Seasons for Frankie Valley. Tell me a little bit what it was like to work with Bob Gordio. Well, Bob Gordio has become over the years one of my closest pals and golfing partners. Now he's having some problems walking, but for all our years in Nashville, we were we were buddies and we still are buddies. Bob Gordio is a special person in the sense that he was born with a musical gift. He could hear things other people couldn't hear. I mean, he wrote the great melody to Can't Take My Eyes Off You, My Eyes. I mean, so many of it, Who Loves You, Pretty Baby, December, Oh, What a Night. I mean, produced all the Neil Diamond songs, the biggest hits. I mean, Gordio is a genius. Yes. It's as simple as that. He's a musical genius. And in the beginning of Marianne, when you hear all those voices go, Marianne. If you look on the bottom of the record, it says arranged by Bob Gordio. Uh -huh. It was his idea to do all that stuff. So Bob Gordio made that record what it was. I wrote the heart and soul of the record, but he painted the beautiful picture because Bob Gordio is a born genius. He knows what a hit sounds like. He produced You Don't Bring, won a Grammy for You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore. And he produced the Neil Diamond Broadway show, Beautiful Noise. I agree with everything you just said. The guy is a genius, and he's a guy that you not a lot of people talk about, you know, maybe because it was the 1960s, but he just created such great music for that band, okay? And Frankie Valley was the perfect voice behind the whole thing. You know, Gordio's first hit was not with the Four Seasons. When he was 16, there's five names on the song, but he wrote it. Who wears short shorts?
that's Bob Gordillo's first hit. Wow. You know, so the, the, the man was, uh, you know, when they made their uh, their record, Shuri, they went downstairs in a studio in the basement of 1650, and they did it on the weekend. You know why? Because the musicians would leave their their instruments there, and they didn't have to pay for rentals, and they didn't have enough money to pay for rentals. So they, they used the other musicians' uh, instruments that were laying there for the weekend. So they had a rough start to begin with. I was blessed to be part of the Four Seasons and part of Mitch Ryder. That jump-started my career. And uh, somehow I, I ended up uh, writing a I loved disco music, so I wrote a song for Johnny Mathis, which was top ten with my wife, called Gone, Gone, Gone. It's a mystery I cannot explain All the blues I got all Johnny Mathis's only up-tempo hit. It was top 10 on the BBC for three months. And then I wrote Use It Up, Wear It Out with the great Sandy Linzer. I'm sure you've heard of Sandy Linzer. Absolutely. He's going to be on the podcast one of these days. We were number one for three weeks with the Calypso song on the BBC. So, you know, my, my career keeps on going. And then I met the great Dan Auerbach. And around four or five years ago, Dan had me get up every day and write three songs a day for nine months. How I, I used to complain that I couldn't do it. He said, get over here. And then he finally put one out and it was, it's, got millions of views like it's a, and it's a rock song yep we're talking about every chance i get i want you in the flesh This one's going up the charts as we speak. Quite remarkable. What do you think? You know, at your age, so many guys are retired. They're not even thinking about music anymore. And you're out there writing hits. I believe that working and being creative is one of the keys to staying alive and staying young, working with younger people like Frankie does. It rejuvenates you. I sang New Year's Eve for 100 people, and I sat between two guys who wrote every Garth Brooks hit and waited an hour to sing. I almost fell asleep. 
My wife sat beside me and gave me ice water. And finally, Kent Blasey, who wrote unanswered prayers for Garth, said, Brown, are you ready? I said, I think I am. And I got up and I sang three songs, Yellow Ribbon, Knocked Three Times, and Gypsy Rose, and the place went berserk. And that was a feeling that I guess I gained 10 more years when that happened. It was such a thrill. These people just went, I mean, they love Garth Brooks songs. Don't get me wrong. They're phenomenal. But a country song is not like an international pop hit. No. Your songs not only touch the heart, but they've been invested in people's bodies, okay, in their soul at this point. I mean, that's the remarkable thing about the songs that you've done. These are not just throwaway pop hits that were there today and then gone tomorrow. They've been there for decades. And uh, like we said about Yellow Ribbon, this song went way beyond just becoming a song. This was a, a remarkable event, if you will, in the history of the United States and the musical world. So congratulations to you, L. Russell Brown. Thank you, Robert. And there's a, a, I'm working on another project called The Third Testament, a screenplay kind of like Star Wars, but a little more important in its message with a great Wayne Slappy. Wayne Slappy trained uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. He's a basketball coach and he's a screenplay writer. And we wrote a screenplay called The Third Testament. So I am working my tushy off and I will continue to do so. Thank you, Robert. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Such a pleasure to hear these stories and to hear these songs. It's been remarkable. We've been speaking here with L. Russell Brown, Larry Brown. Larry, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Robert. Bless you. All right. We're going to listen now to that song of mine that started off the episode. It's a song called Right Now. I want to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com. Well, I just didn't think that we'd share all these tears Yes, I just didn't think that we'd have all these fears But I can't let you go because it's taking us years right now I wanted a life with you I thought that you wanted to I hope that you'll see it through right now Yes, I want you to go, but I need you today. So I want you to go, but don't be.